Good morning, and you are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR Radical Community Radio 855 on your dial. I'm Chloe, and thank you for tuning in, everyone. And good morning, Jacob, uh, the presenter on the show. Yeah, so good morning, everyone. Before we begin, I'd like to start by recognising that we are meeting on the land of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung, the rightful sovereign owners of this land, land that was stolen, it was taken by force, they never ceded sovereignty, and the colonisation of their land continues to this day. And that struggle for First Nations sovereignty is deeply connected with the struggles against racism and border imperialism that we all live with today. And we pledge to actively support decolonisation where we can, and we support First Nations people in their struggle for justice. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So, Jacob, what's on the show today? Um, so, we're, we're going to be covering quite a bit of... Um, we'll cover a bit of kind of news um, for um, the kind of start of the program. Um, quite a, there's been quite a number of political developments um, that, I guess, have happened, I guess, in the past week. Um, one of the kind of things we want to probably highlight is over the last weekend, we actually saw one of the biggest kind of anti kind of war um, protests um, in around Port Kembla in, in Wollongong. And um, Green Left actually has a very good kind of report to that. And maybe um, Chloe, can, um, you can speak to it um, um, later on at the start of the program. And then um, some other um, some other exciting things um, was uh, the Labor Party unveiled its federal budget. Now, that's not really exciting. In fact, you kind of expected there would be some positive announcements coming out of it. But as an interview that we'll do later on the program, in case where we'll be interviewing Sue Bull, um, member of the Social Science National Executive, who recently wrote a, um, a feature article for on, on the federal budget for Green Left, um, you know, the budget actually leaves millions of of ordinary kind of people left behind then we'll go to we'll we're going to um we're going to we're also going to speak to um david ball deputy secretary of the maritime union of australia and also presenter at the free cr program mua fire up um to talk about the 25th anniversary of the patrick's dispute was probably which was probably one of the most important kind of workers disputes um in 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 um in in australian history and then we're also going to be playing, we'll be playing an interview from Green Left that was done, um, which is with the, which is with, um, which is with this Turkish, um, activist. Um, basically we've been covering the, the progressive and pro-Kurdish people's democratic party, which is the third biggest party in the Turkish parliament. And now it's actually being forced to contest the upcoming May 14th. Turkish general elections under the banner of the Green Left Party. So we're going to be kind of we're going to, we're going to be playing that interview, especially since I think it'll be quite topical because um, the 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 Turkish the Turkey elections are actually happening on May the fourteenth, so actually quite um, quite soon. So on on this uh, basically they'll be happening this Sunday. 
Um, but yeah, Chloe, did you want to sort of start off a bit of a, a, a report on well, this? There is some really exciting activist news, as you mentioned, Jacob, over the weekend. Um, it, so there was, well, like you said, the, the, one of the biggest anti-war demonstrations with over, well, between that they're saying a thousand and two um, two thousand people. Um, so they marched down Port Kembla's main street in a defiant May Day protest against Labor's proposal. Um, yeah, at that port, um, against the proposal that the port, port will become a possible base for its, its AUKUS nuclear submarines. And it's really great that the trade union, um, the trade union movement call this. I mean, and it really does reflect the radical working class history of, of that area in Wollongong. And, really should be an inspiration to anyone who is, you know, attempting to build opposition to AUKUS and strengthen the anti-war movement. And you can see some of that footage of the demonstration in Green Left online, if you have a look. Um, some pretty inspiring um, footage, um, Jacob. <laughs> and, yeah, I think it's uh, – I think that there's definitely – I just think – this protest, I think, has is is a bit of an kind of important development because I think it does show that we can you can build kind of mass support for um, for opposing these um, for opposing for opposing AUKUS and possibly one um, one element um, and of course this is just um, drawing on the on the green left kind of report. Um, one of the kind of updates is is the fact that the government has kind of already announced that a final decision on the base port for the nuclear submarines will be delayed until after the next election. So essentially they've already, they're already sort of, um, they've already in a sense responded to, I guess, community pressure. Although in some sense a more cynical viewpoint could also say it's also a way of pacifying the movement. Uh, in a sense they'd just be, they will just act as vague as possible about, you know, whether they're going to be building the port on, around, on Port Kemble at all. Um, because as far as I know, the, um, the other sort of nuclear um, submarine base sites, like um, I think there's one base in Western Australia, is already, I think, a, f- uh, a foregone conclusion. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything that's making the, um, pushing the ALP to make any sort of uh, any decision otherwise. Um, but I think just it does reflect, I think, the, the kind of, you know, the, the impact that this kind of movement had. Now, I guess one other kind of news story that has been um, that has kind of been in the headlines for like the past week has been this big this kind of debate around um, the housing bill that's uh, that's kind of being put forward in in the federal parliament. Now, I think this we actually we played that we on one of the recent programs of Green Left Radio we played an interview um, that we did with Max Chadler Mayfer, um, who is the Greens MP for Griffin. And he's, um, he's also the housing spokesperson for the Greens. And in the interview, he kind of gave a, you know, kind of a very good kind of overview of what this housing bill actually is. But, you know, for our listeners to give a bit of background to this housing bill, the Labor Party are essentially pushing this $10 billion, um, um, housing bill that doesn't, and as the Greens have kind of rightfully kind of criticized, doesn't actually guarantee a single cent for uh, affordable housing. The whole kind of basis of this bill is that the government is going to allocate $10 billion to a housing fund. Um, and then of course, that housing fund, um, might make some prop, might make some, might make $300 million profits or, or mm. something. And then the idea is that those profits, um, that the, that the housing, um, 
fund will make um, for its dividends will will be used to for affordable housing, and so I think it's it's actually a complete it's it's a it's actually another classic example of the Labor Party you know wanting to appear like it's doing something but still not willing to kind of challenge um, the, fa- the the foundations of our capitalist system. And in fact, it's very much a very market-driven solution to addressing the housing issue. Uh, and in fact, as Max Shadler-Mafer and the Greens have actually consistently kind of argued for, why can't $5 billion of um, be directly allocated to um, public housing and uh, and affordable housing? Um, Chloe, did you have a sort of comment you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the housing fund m- might make a profit of 350. You were just sort of hypothetically putting that um, to people, but you know, you're right. I mean, Labor's proposal is grossly inadequate, and instead of directly funding public and affordable housing, um, you know, they're just essentially putting 10 billion dollars of public money and just gambling it on the stock market. And last year, the future fund that they were that they actually invested in it lost 1.2 percent. So the housing fund would have lost like 120 million dollars. Not a cent would have been spent on public on on housing. Um, and you know, we have 26 million people in this country. It's it's not a lot. It's one of the richest countries in the world. And it's just crazy to think that we don't have a roof over everyone's head. Um, there's wage stagnation. There's refusal to provide adequate Centrelink benefits. And, you know, I, leaving, leaving housing to the market is not a solution. And Australia has one of the worst commitments when it comes to social housing compared to other countries with, with a similar gross domestic product. I mean, one example is Sweden and even the Netherlands have higher levels of social housing that are like 4.5 or 7, 7.6 times higher in the Netherlands than, than Australia. But it's not even social housing that we should be fighting for. The best solution or long-term solution to this to the rental crisis is actually to build more public housing. It doesn't just help those in a more in more in are in financial need. It actually helps everyone. It is the best way to house people who are on low incomes. And um, one of the other things over the course of this debate around the bill, um, the Labor Party is trying to dishonestly um, attack, is making a very dishonest kind of attack on the Greens, basically kind of accusing the Greens of getting in the way of building more, um, getting in the way of building more housing. Um, And of course, they're using the they're using the whole sort of they're trying to hide behind this whole moral authority of you know we're we're committed to building. you know, building housing for for women um, escaping um, escaping domestic violence. Well, I mean, th- the thing is, as the Greens have kind of, as Max Shadow has been consistently pointing out, if those billions of dollars <laughs> uh, could be guaranteed as a direct investment in housing, it would actually mean more housing, uh, more housing for people. You're actually, essentially, in a sense, this bill is essentially, as you said, Chloe, it is essentially mm. putting a gamble on on the stock market. Mm. And it's like, you know, you know, as, you know, we're both renters here. And let's say, let's say what the Labour Party are essentially kind of doing is, imagine if we, if, if a landlord came up to us and said, um, you know, um, where's your rent? And then we said, oh no, we've, we've, we've put the rent money into some, um, 
into some housing fund on well we put the money into some stock into the stock market and you know if we get if we get a good return we'll give you some of that for rent you know no landlord would um no landlord would actually accept, accept that, that but essentially that's what um, that's what the Labor Party is actually pushing forward as some kind of ground, as groundbreaking policy really of a insulting. of a so-called progressive government, and I think it is actually very insulting. And I think, I think the Greens are actually right to to um, argue against even voting on this bill. Yeah. Um, but from my understanding, what now what the Greens are attempting to do is they are attempting to negotiate. Um, they are attempting to negotiate at least $5 billion, be directly allocated into into housing. Um, they're also negotiating a rent a rent freeze because actually one of the biggest kind of issues right now is, as, way, as you say, wages are stagnating mm-hmm. right now. And with rent increases, um, people are not, People are not even being able to pay rent. Like, for example, some people's rents might be going up by a hundred dollars. Then inflation's hitting, um, so that means you know means um, the costs of food and basic necessities is increasing. And you know, we'll we'll be actually talking a bit more about this in the context of the mm. of the federal budget later on. But you know, you know, people are I think you know a rent freeze, a national rent freeze, would actually be very significant to kind of a lot of people because, in a sense. Um, even just simply because the Labor Party is actually sort of trying to make this sort of promise that oh yeah well inflation is going to go down and wages are going to increase well what 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 meaning is the uh, is uh, is wage increases going to be for a lot of ordinary workers if people's in, if people if interest rates are going up for mortgage holders and uh, and also and and the cost and 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 rents keep rising um, it's actually going to kind of mean nothing. That's right. But I might just go play a quick announcement, and I thought I might. I actually um, listened to this very impressive um, speech by Max Shed the Mayfer, um, responding to all the kind of attacks by the Labor Party. I think it would be quite good for our program to actually play um, to play it. So I'll just play a quick announcement. Um, you are listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR eight five five AM. If you're a charity or community group looking for office space or a co-working space, Ross House has rooms of different sizes available, from 15 metres squared to 100 metres squared at affordable prices. Many charity groups already call Ross House home, so if you're interested in joining a vibrant community or working towards social justice and environmental sustainability, please visit rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650 Ross House is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And um, we're just having a bit of a discussion about this whole debate around um, Labor's $10 billion, um, housing um, housing bill, which is basically, as, as we've sort of noted, is basically um, the Labor Party... Putting forward a bill that basically commits ten billion dollars uh, to be gambled onto the stock market for a, for a particular housing fund. Now, the Greens have been um, Max Mayfer, who's the housing spokesperson, has been under um, direct attack uh, under a lot of attack by um, by Labor Party politicians um, for um, for even for even questioning um, and criticising directly this bill and arguing that this um, this bill should 
actually be giving direct investment in public housing. So I thought I'd actually play a recording of this speech that he did in Parliament, which I actually think is, I think it's actually quite good in a lot of ways, because in a sense, it's actually, we're actually seeing an elected representative openly talk um, in a very clear way about class politics. So I hope listeners, um, I hope listeners who are listening now um, get a lot out of the speech that we're just about to be playing now. So this is played by Max Fred Mayfern, and it's actually taken from his Facebook page. You're listening to Green Left Radio. What sort of government is it that can't guarantee a cent, a single cent for public and affordable housing, but can guarantee $254 billion for everyone in this place to get $9,000 extra a year on tax? They can guarantee $41 billion for fossil fuel subsidies. They can guarantee $16 billion in tax concessions for property investors, but they can't guarantee a cent for public and affordable housing in the middle of the worst housing crisis we have seen in generations. A Labor member over there just before told me to grow up. Grow up! And if you think, and if you think that your strategy is to tell everyone in this country it's immature to think that in one of the wealthiest countries in the world we can't put a roof over everyone's head, if you think it's a strategy to call people immature because we think it's wrong that you're raising more money from charging interest on student debt than you are from raising taxes on gas corporations, if you think it's a good strategy to tell everyone in this country that it's immature to expect that while politicians in this place are about to get a $9,000 extra year off on their tax, we think no one in this country should be forced to live on poverty payments. How dare you? How dare you? And the strategy that you resort to is lying to the Australian public. Now, if you're watching at home, here's the strategy that they're deploying. Here's the strategy they're deploying. They are trying to crush your hope. They are trying to crush your hope. What they are trying to do to you right now is to say this is all you can hope for. And if you hope for anything else, and if anyone comes out and says, you know what, when you can find $4.2 billion for a surplus, maybe we should be spending $5 billion a year on public and affordable housing, you'll get attacked for it. They are trying to bash you down until there is nothing left for you to hope for. But you know what? The reality is that the reason they're doing it is not for technical or policy reasons. There's not actually any reason we couldn't tax big corporations and make sure we build enough public and affordable housing in this country. The private construction industry is in decline. We could be using those skills and construction materials to build public and affordable housing. We could be freezing rent increases, the same that countries around the world have done and Australia has done before. We could do that. But the reason they don't want to do it is because really they're on the side of the banks and property developers who make enormous profits in this country. Here's the deal. They, in this budget, they're guaranteeing money for property developers and tax concessions to build apartments that when Mervac built them, Mervac, by the way, the outgoing CEO of Mervac, if you're wondering, is also the person they're appointing ahead of their National Supply and Affordability Council. What a sick joke. Anyway, they charged for those apartments 20% above market rent. Above market rent. Above market rent. Well, guess what? No one in this country is going to take that for much longer. And if you think your strategy is to yell and abuse and attack anyone who asks for more, if your strategy is that and listen to that, you've got another thing coming because there's enough people in this country now who are screwed over by a political system that snarls and attacks anyone who asks for more. While we've just seen the banks record 
tens of billions of dollars in profit. If anyone thinks that's normal, and if you're going to go around and call the Greens radicals for, uh, for suggesting that in a wealthy country like this, th the fact that the banks are making billions of dollars in profit while the government can't guarantee a cent for public and affordable housing is moderate, is moderate, you've got an absolute another thing coming. The only radicals in this place are the ones who think doing that is sustainable. The only radicals in this place are the ones who think that it's okay to give yourselves $9,000 extra a year off on your tax while telling people they have to live on $52 a day. What a sick joke. We had someone come into our office, a woman who had just had her rent jacked up by $120 a week, $120 a week, and uh, this, guy, this person is on Centrelink payments, unemployed long-term because of a debilitating heart condition, but unable to get on DSP. After rent, bills and food, he literally did not have the money to pay the $70 train trip to get home to be with her. When my team told him we'd transfer him $100 immediately so he could book the ticket straight away and buy some food for the trip, he broke down weeping. Weeping. He spent two full days desperately pleading with Centrelink to give him an urgent payment. And you stand here and you think... And you think that it's good enough to give yourselves tax cuts while this is happening to people in this country? How dare you? Right. You're just listening to Max Shadler Mayfer, who was speaking in Parliament. And of course, this, I thought it was a, yeah, a very kind of powerful kind of indictment of, you know, of our, of our politicians. You know, it's completely outrageous that, you know, we're in this cost of living crisis. Um, people are struggling to afford homes, and yet the governments uh, and yet politicians are essentially giving themselves a voting on policy that gives them what was the figure again? Ten billion. Well, um, no, no, um, no, no, the figure again for ta the tax cuts that it was quoted four hundred twenty-six dollars or something in in tax cuts a day. Um, so I think you know. I think it was a very good pointed and directed speech at, you know, at the politicians and who they ultimately kind of rule for. And I think it's quite refreshing to kind of see that kind of political speech um, in Parliament. All right. Now, I'll just go play um, a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. If you're a charity or community group looking for office space or a co-working space, Ross House has rooms of different sizes available, from 15 metres squared to 100 metres squared, at affordable prices. Many charity groups already call Ross House home, so if you're interested in joining a vibrant community or working towards social justice and environmental sustainability, please visit rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9 Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio. And I thought um, we'd take a bit of a breather and play um, a song. Um, you know, the coronation kind of happened on, on the kind of weekend, and so I thought we'd play um, a track by um, Lloyd, um, who, you know, very popular kind of singer, and she's done, she did a very good sort of anti-monarchy song um, called Royals. So you're listening to Royals by Lord. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movie. And I'm not proud of my address In a torn up town No postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth Grey goose dripping in the bathroom Blood 
You're just listening to Royals by Lord. Um, so I'm gonna for the next part of the program, as I as we as we kind of noted, um, the Turkish election um, general elections is actually going to be happening on May the 14th. Um, and in fact, we'll possibly have a follow up interview on the results of that election. Um, some of our listeners, because um, are probably aware that um, the HDP, um, which is the progressive, which is a progressive and pro-Kurdish um, party, is a, is the third biggest party in the Turkish Parliament. And of course, it's been the subject of so of of fierce kind of repression by um, by the Erdogan um, government, and it's now having to contest the upcoming four, May 14th uh, ele- um, general elections under the banner of the Green Left, um, under the banner of the Green Left Party. And, um, and Green Left, and so this is a recording of an interview, um, where, um, where Peter Boyle's Green Left spoke to Kanan Birkin, who is the Sydney representative of the Green Left Party on Tuesday, April, um, the, tw- um, the 25th. And just one thing to note around, um, around this interview, just hours after the interview was completed, news broke that scores of journalists, lawyers, ar- artists and human rights activists were arrested in dawn raids by police as part of an escalating crackdown on the pro-Kurdish opposition ahead of the cr- upcoming crucial elections. So yeah, hope- hopefully this interview gives a good bit of um, background and an overview of what the Green Left kind of party is standing for on this and what's really at the stake in these Turkish elections.
The Progressive and Pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party, or HDP, which is the third biggest party in the Turkish parliament, has been forced to contest the upcoming May 40 election under the banner of the Green Left Party, Yoshil Sol Party, one of the constituent parties that put together the HDP back in 2012. Green Left spoke to Kenan Burkan, the Sydney representative of the Green Left Party of Turkey, on Tuesday, April 25. Just hours after the interview was completed, news broke out that scores of journalists, lawyers, artists, human rights activists and political campaigners were arrested in dawn raids by Turkish police as part of an escalating crackdown on the pro-Kurdish opposition ahead of the coming elections. According to an official statement, 128 people were arrested on Tuesday as part of these operations. A wave of mass protests have broken out in response. Um, unfortunately, there's a, a big misconception that the Turkish authorities are deliberately trying to establish in society that it is the Kurdish issue exists in Turkey because of the PKK. And if the PKK disappears, the Kurdish issue will disappear with it as well. So uh, to them, the cause of the Kurdish issue is the PKK. But uh, in fact, the uh, reality is PKK is not the uh, uh, cause of the issue. It's actually the result of the issue. So the real uh, reason uh, for the Kurdish issue and many other historical uh, uh, problems of Turkey are the oppression, denial, and assimilation policies applied uh, against all people of Turkey, all beliefs and all differences in the country. And these are the real, uh, actually, uh, cause of the problems. And uh, for many years, the uh, the parties like HDP, which are coming from the tradition of the Kurdish political struggle, are trying to explain this uh, to the people, to the, to the country. But uh, because they are telling this truth, uh, they were accused of being extension of PKK and closed down and banned. And that's exactly what happened for uh, for the HDP with the uh, latest uh, lawsuit as well. Unfortunately, demanding a democracy in Turkey uh, counts as a uh, propaganda for terrorist organization. <laughs> the first thing to be done is to actually uh, change the uh, constitution, the current constitution, which is a military coup uh, constitution which was made in uh, 1982. So... Uh, Basically, the Green Left Party is saying, we are here, we are fighting together, uh, we will change together and we will establish a democratic republic in its second century, because uh, it was established in 1923, it's the first century, after this year it's going to be the second century, so we want to have uh, this uh, democratic uh, country in the second century. We are here, we are fighting and we are ready to change together. But uh, the primary condition for this to get rid of the HKP MHP uh, faces uh, fascist government and Erdogan, Erdogan's one-man regime. Let's get rid of this uh, regime and let's start uh, uh, a democratic constitution, uh, creating a democratic society at the end, having a democratic uh, country, then we can sit down and uh, resolve our problems. How is the campaigning going in Turkey? Uh, is the Green Left Party being allowed to to campaign freely or is it being subjected to any forms of restrictions or persecution? Uh, look, uh, 
for any party coming from our tradition, it's always uh, uh, hard to have a campaign. Uh, you know, in 2015, 2018, uh, you know, even bombs exploded uh, while we were actually uh, campaigning and having uh, uh, meetings. And in, uh, in uh, I think the seven, uh, the first of uh, November elections, to prevent us from uh, you know coming back to uh, the uh, to the parliament, they actually bombed our uh, meetings. So we were so scared to have a meeting. Uh, because uh, we were, uh, you know, scared to lose uh, uh, lives of people. It is uh, uh, probably the same. We are having this same uh, persecution from the Turkish authorities. The earthquake and the huge disaster around it, um, you know, resulted in many people, not just supporters of opposition parties, being critical of the uh, AKP government, um, do you think that there will be an expression of this um, in the election result? I think it will. You know, earthquake is a natural disaster, and of course it causes a loss of life. But, you know, the reason that we have lost so many lives in this earthquake, uh, it's because of the AKP and Erdogan regime, which is uh, governing for the last 23 years and not giving any value to human life. This regime has not learned any lessons from the previous earthquakes and not uh, not taken any measures to prevent it. So uh, Erdogan regime and AKP government, instead of uh, intervening uh, in the areas, the earthquake uh, areas, uh, and starting the rescue efforts, they left people who were crushed in the earthquakes to their own fate uh, in very uh, hard, harsh uh, winter conditions. So the people who has not lost their lives during the earthquake they have lost their lives uh, under under the collapse, uh, you know, freezing to death. So, uh, and AKP regime even prevented many institutions, uh, especially HDP, from delivering search and rescue teams and humanitarian aid to the region. That's why we know that uh, the people uh, uh, who lost uh, their lives in the earthquake, the numbers are much, much higher than uh, official numbers. And um, in addition, in this earthquake, we've learned uh, one lesson again. Uh, governing Turkey uh, from a central location, from Ankara, is not working. It's not actually complying with the essence of the social needs. We need empowered local administra uh, administrations to act quickly to meet the needs of the local pe people. Since HTP uh, knew, knew that, uh, instead of waiting from Ankara to uh, respond, they quickly uh, formed committees to meet people's uh, needs, and even the HDP deputies and members and their volunteers, uh, volunteers participated in the search efforts. Uh, but I believe uh, AKP's uh, late arrival in the earthquake areas, uh, not giving any value to human life and leaving people in the ruins, ruins for days, inability to meet their needs of the rescued people, even their attitude towards other uh, community organizations, uh, angered not only the people uh, living in the earthquake areas, but uh, all the people of the Turkey. I think uh, this reaction against the irresponsible and helpless attitude of the government will also be reflected in the elections. Uh, the decline in AKP's uh, voice after the earthquake was actually reflected in the, uh, the polls, election polls. The other thing that seems to be happening now is that the Erdogan regime is uh, increasing its uh, military provocations against uh, um, against Rojava and also against um, the Kurdistan area of Iraq. Um, in the, it, is this something that that helps win 
Erdogan votes or could this backfire on him? Look, more provocations uh, by the Erdogan is, uh, you know, is, is a method of uh, trying to increase the national uh, fa- uh, fascist uh, votes uh, in Turkey and then, you know, getting uh, these uh, sects uh, uh, the votes to their uh, their uh, uh, parties, AKP and MHP. This is uh, happening almost every in every election before the elections, especially by trying to occupy the areas under uh, the rule of uh, Kurdish people in Rojava and uh, southern Kurdistan. Uh, actually, he's provocating uh, the nationalist uh, votes in, in uh, Turkey to uh, get their rights. And again, trying to uh, get Kurds to lose against ISIS is another method that he's using. Uh, you know, he was actually uh, saying that uh, Kobane is uh, uh, lo- losing. So he was actually using that uh, when the time uh, 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 Kobane was actually under the siege of ISIS. So he did the same thing for these elections as well. Uh, he, tried, uh, he started uh, a preparation to carry out uh, an operation to Rojava, but uh, luckily, let's say luckily, he didn't get uh, the approval of United States and Ru- uh, Russia. So he just uh, stopped there. And then he start, started uh, attacking Greece uh, after that because he actually... Uh, tried to use the same uh, method uh, uh, against Greece uh, to get the nationalist uh, votes. Um, of course, there is a section in Turkey uh, that feeds on uh, such war provocations, and these sections are already voting for IKP and MHP anyway, but I don't think other segments, other than those uh, uh, fascist uh, segments of Turkey, uh, will not vote for his party, because I think by now the rest of Turkey knows that it's just a... a propaganda for his uh, election campaign. I believe there's about three and a half million uh, external votes that come into the Turkish results. What proportion is in Australia? And what would be a reasonable target for the Green Left Party to try and win? I'll give you some uh, uh, examples uh, from uh, 2018 elections. Unfortunately, voters turnout in Australia is uh, much uh, less than the Turkey. In 2018, 86% uh, was the turnout in Turkey, but in Australia it was only 32.5% of the whole votes, uh, actually. So in 2018, uh, out of 47,000, only 15,000 uh, voted. And HDP in 2018 won the 17.3% of those votes in Sydney and uh, 15.4% uh, in Melbourne. Basically, there was uh, 1,090 votes for HDP in Sydney in 2018 and only 1,317 in Melbourne. So altogether, HDP received in Australia uh, 2,448 votes, uh, which is 16.3% of this uh, 47,000. In this election, we are expecting around 55,000 people, uh, the Turkish citizens, eligible to vote. I believe in this election uh, the interests are greater, so we are expecting higher turnout, uh, and we are, aim- we are aiming to ex- exceed 20% of uh, the total votes, uh, which is if we get more than 4,000 votes all across Australia, we should end up with 20% of the whole votes. Is it easy for 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 uh, Turkish citizens to exercise their vote in Australia, or is it a difficult process? 
It is a bit of a difficult process because uh, the embassy in, uh, in Sydney and even in Melbourne is uh, far away from where the, uh, uh, the population lives, actually. So in 2014, uh, for the presidential elections, they actually hired a, a hall in uh, town hall, I think, in Lidcombe, and that was uh, very easy. That was a that better uh, process. But now we insist, like, in, you know, even if we insist, they, they don't want to change it for some reason. Uh, so, you know. So you have uh, to go to the consulate. All the way to embassy, mm. which is the, which is in the eastern suburbs. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. To overcome this problem, we actually created, uh, a Sydney democracy platform with other, uh, uh, parties and organizations. We are actually having, uh, bus trips, uh, to embassy twice, uh, twice a day, uh, uh, 10 a.m. in the morning and uh, 4, 4 p.m. afternoon so that we can carry our people uh, to the embassies so that they can and, vote. And this so is the overseas voting takes place over what period of time? Uh, from 29th of uh, April to 7th of uh, May, from 9 a.m. till uh, 9 p.m. So every day you will be organizing um, transport? We are encouraging people uh, to go there by themselves, but... There are a lot of people uh, in our community that you know needs uh, uh, transport, so we are actually uh, providing that transport services for them. Okay, you're just listening to an interview, and you can um, actually view this interview online on Green Left, and it's titled Green Left Party Campaigns for Real Democratic Change in the Turkish General Elections. Um, so this was an interview with um, Kinek, um what was he saying? I'm oh, sorry. Connect, uh, Kenan, um, Birkin, who is the Sydney representative of the Green Left Party on choose, um, on, of the Green Left Party, which is basically the new left wing, um, the new name of that hate, um, of the HTP, which is the, which is the People's Democratic Party in Turkey. And it's the third biggest party in the Turkish, um, parliament. Um, now I'll go, um, we're, we're getting in time to do our first, um, our next first live interview for the program with, um, Sue Ball. I'm just going to go play a quick announcement and we'll get her on the line. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And now it's time for a discussion we're going to have with Sue Bull, who's a member of Socialist Alliance National Executive. And we have her on the show to talk about the socialist response to the federal budget. Thank you for being on this show, Sue. Yes, hi. So the Labor Party is promoting this budget on the basis that it helps the less fortunate and leaves no one behind. And it's been billed as a cost-of-living budget. So how would you respond to that? Oh, well, I think that's a bit of a joke, actually. Um, Labor's very good at making out as if they're doing everything. They've got a lot of rhetoric to make it look as if they're helping the poor, trying to get housing built, but, of course, the Greens are stopping them and so on and so forth. In reality, 
They've set aside $14.6 billion to assist people who are struggling. Now, we know that that's at least a million people. Of course, it's probably bigger. But according um, you know, to various different parties, um, at least 1 billion people, sorry, 1 million people um, have barely been helped by this budget at all. <laughs> so I think that's just laughable. And um, one of the, um, can you um, can you go I guess into kind of more detail about you know some of the inadequacy of these sort of cost of living measures that that, that the government um, that the Labor Party is kind of putting forward? Sure, sure. The the one that most people are talking about because it's just so astounding is the fact that the budget provides two dollars eighty five increase. For those on Job Seeker and the youth payments, um, that's it. sorry per, per day. That's all they, they they're going to get out of this um, in terms of a, an actual real increase. And they compare that to the twenty five dollars a day that the rich will get when the um, when the tax cuts come through. So so the the the, uh, the third tier of tax cuts. So that's one of the really most astounding. Um, you know, and there's. Speech after speech has been given by those who actually support those who are struggling, which shows that uh, layers of people who do not need the money will get... I think they were talking in terms of the politicians, for instance, once the tax cuts come through next year, will be getting something like $60,000 out of those tax cuts, whilst you've got this significant proportion of people that will not be able to feed their children and they'll not be able to pay their rent. So they're the sort of details that are coming through. And, you know, and that's alongside of the fact that there's money that's being ripped out of NDIS, which is forever being put forward as the bogeyman. And yet we all know that for people, you know, who have any forms of incapacity, NDIS has actually saved their lives. Um, it's government and, 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 you know, big business governments that have actually supported it being privatised so that you've got all these massive amounts of money spent not on the people who need it, but on on bludgers actually that are, are making private private investors or private providers who are making far too much money out of it at the expense of the people who need the money. So that's that, you know they're the sort of figures that that we're really looking at. They're they're quite significant. I mean the tax cuts, for instance, will bring in two hundred and fifty four billion dollars into the pockets of the already wealthy over the next 10 years. So you look at that and you measure that up against the $14 billion being given to those who actually need the money, it's, it's just they're trifling sums. They're huge on the one hand for the rich, trifling for those doing it tough on the other hand. Yeah, you were you were talking about the the tax cuts, Sue, and I guess just to go, uh, just to sort of, um, you know, analyze that. What do you think that that reveals about the priorities of the Labor government? Um, it's going ahead with the stage three tax cuts, and they're allocating billions to the purchase of of nuclear powered submarines. <laughs> wow, see, they're the they're the two big ticket items. On the one hand, the $368 billion that will be allocated to AUKUS and and then the tax cuts, you know, as I just said before, which is um, um, $254 billion. So they're your two really big amounts. Um, while it would have cost $24 billion 
to give people a living wage. So when you look at these figures, you can see that labour, basically, is still the second party of capital. Now, this, their role still is to deliver for big business and, and international um, you know, you know, capital rather than delivering for people who really need it. Now, you've got to look at this also in the context of the fact that most of, labor, most of government income actually comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers. So where they get the bulk of their money is from people like us. You know, those people who go to work every day and then they retire or they get an injury or whatever um, and they need support or, you know, whatever happens to them, they lose their job, you know, they, whatever. Um, but they pay tax their whole lives and that's where the bulk of money that governments get comes from. But meanwhile, when we need it, we get nothing. So it shows really that Labor's priorities are to support big business. Now, you might go, but, oh, that's just can't be because they came in on a you know, on a social justice angle, you know, talking about workers and they're going to raise money for... They're raising the wages for aged care workers. But meanwhile, um, the reality is when you look at these whole... these figures in the... In the, the you know, in, in reality, they are not supporting us. They're not paying us back. They're actually supporting big business. So the only conclusion you can draw is that their class interests are not with ours. That's it. Um, one of the kind of things, um, although in a sense your response to to kind of that, um, to the next question I'm going to ask is, is an almost in a sense an answer to kind of the next question I'm going to ask, but I still think it's kind of important to kind of ask this question um, it, because basically one of the, obviously, you know, obviously we can note that the Labor Party clearly have these sort of priorities that are kind of driven by kind of big business, but of course, what they kind of sell to the public um, and to the Labor supporters is they often kind of put themselves forward as, you know, we are sensible kind of economic managers. And in fact, there's actually quite a big surplus in the budget that is quite, um, that is kind of left. And of course, that is sort of celebrated as like, this is actually a good thing. You know, we're the sensible economic managers. We're not like um, the Liberal Party who constantly kind of mismanage things and I guess what do you see why do you what do you think is kind of some of the other deeper reasons on why Labor, the Labor Party sees it as important as being sensible economic managers well see this is the whole conundrum isn't it like when the Liberals are in they really appeal to big business and they're quite happy to offensively just cut <laughs> yeah austerity budgets are the sort of budgets that the Liberals bring in. They don't care. They'll, they'll just cut everybody. Labor can't be seen to be doing that head-on. They have to do it in sort of um, backdoor sorts of ways, um, which is what we're seeing at the moment. And this is part of the reason why they've come in, because what the Liberals do is that they begin to create chaos amongst working-class people. You know, the protest levels go up. Um, and, of course, the Liberals are in disarray at the moment, and... <laughs> fast making themselves irrelevant. So, of course, capital looks to Labor then to see if they can get class peace. So can they shut us up? And remember, the unions at times are only too happy. You know, they go, oh, thank God Labor's in. So the unions are quite happy often to go along with not calling for um, wage increases, significant wage increases, that would address how much money we've actually lost over the last two decades. Um, 
that's Labor's role. Labor's role is to actually co-opt all of us into accepting that there's no more money in the kitty. I mean, I heard Chalmers say it. He said, oh, we just can't afford. We just can't afford to give the, um, what's the figure? The $24 billion it would take to lift people out of poverty. $24 billion? That is peanuts when you compare it to orchids mm. or the tax cuts. I mean, that's when you're really seeing the cold, hard light of day, what, what their role is. Their role is to shut us up, to make it look as if they're giving us stuff, when in reality they're building a kitty in case that the economy goes into freefall and they have to bail out the banks. I mean, part of the, part of the message in this budget is... Um, we're really good economic managers. Trust us so that if you get into trouble, we will have the money there to bail you out. And that will be far bigger than the $24 billion it would cost to bring people out of poverty. I mean, that's really the message that they they actually give in these budgets when you peel away all the rhetoric about how kind they are to us poor people who are doing it tough. That's the impact of what they do. Yeah, well, they're they're not going to shut us up, Sue. Um, but yeah, good points. And we also wanted to ask you, what are some of the progressive measures that the union movement and society has to keep fighting for as an alternative to this budget? Yeah, well, I think there's a number. I mean, the first has to be we have to call for a living wage. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just, we can't just step back from that. We can't just sort of step back and go. Oh, this is. We'll accept your peanuts. <laughs> we have to go back to that call. It has to be a living wage for everybody on welfare, but also for workers. We have to call for both. We have to call for a massive increase in welfare, and we have to call for a living wage for workers. But we're stopped from doing that because continuously we're told, "Oh, that will add to inflation." Well, I can tell you now, even the Financial Review says that if Labor provided the money for um, those on welfare, it could be offset so that it didn't actually increase inflation. So we can put that one to bed straight away. We have to call for housing. The Greens have been making a big thing on this. Many groups have been making a big thing on this. But we have to have proper public housing and private housing for, for people. There is a housing crisis. The union movement has to come behind that call. Um, we have to call for cuts to the subsidies to fossil fuels. You know, th- th- there's a $41 billion subsidy to fossil fuel companies. That has to go. We have to stop all subsidies to fossil fuel, and we actually have to stop government from opening up new coal, you know, gas and oil. Um, that's, that's just a reality. And, and we have to stop AUKUS. AUKUS is not in, in our favour. It's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a massive drain on the economy. It could open up all forms of war, you know, the most frighteningly nuclear war. You know, these things, which have been led by Labor governments or originally maybe Tory, um, Liberal governments and then supported by Labor, the union movement has to come behind and actually say outright, no AUKUS, no fossil fuels, living wage for all, and build bloody houses. That's what we actually need. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think we support Jackie Lambie on this, but we, there has to be housing 
Otherwise, working class people have got nowhere to live. Okay, um, Sue, um, well, thanks for that. Um, I think you've sort of covered everything quite well in terms of, I guess, this federal kind of budget. But I guess, do you, just in case, do you guess have any kind of final comments you might, um, um, that you'd like to make? Yeah, look, I do. The last thing I would say is um, I think we also have to campaign to show that Labor is not serving the needs of ordinary people. Um, we've got to expose the mythology around Labor. Um, they are an alternative party of capital. I keep hearing really good people saying, oh, Labor's doing pretty well, aren't they, at the moment? And you go, no. Well, I feel like saying, no, it's a honeymoon period. They're making it sound as if they're doing things that are in, in our favour. In reality, it's peanuts. And I think we need to expose that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sue. Um, I think this has been a very good kind of analysis of, of the federal budget. And I guess for our listeners, you can read um, the article that um, Sue Bull wrote on Green Left um, titled Labor, I think, Left Millions Out. Um, something, La- something Labor's budget ignores the needs of millions. Ignores the needs of millions. And we also have two other articles that have been produced on the federal budget, um, including um, Isaac Nellis' sort of article and Graham Matthews. Um, so, yeah, you can have a bit of a read of, of Green Left's um, budget coverage by going on greenleft.org.au. But anyway, thanks again, um, Sue, for being on our program. Um, and, yeah, um, we'll, I think we definitely need to kind of keep up the fight for fighting for a living wage, and I think it's very important that we do expose the inadequacies of this Labor government. Problem. Catch you next time. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, just to give the name of those articles again, um, by Graham Matthews, who's uh, um, advocate um, and NDIS um, activist. So it's called Labor's Budget is an Attack on the NDIS Medicare. And then there's another article called Young People Left Out by Labor's Budget. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's, um, yeah, everyone just have a read of those articles. Okay, well, we'll play a quick few announcements um, and we'll probably have time to go into the Green Left Actress Calendar. You're listening to Green Left Radio. If you're a charity or community group looking for office space or a co-working space, Ross House has rooms of different sizes available, from 15 metres squared to 100 metres squared at affordable prices. Many charity groups already call Ross House home, so if you're interested in joining a vibrant community or working towards social justice and environmental sustainability, please visit rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book
All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And um, now it is time for the Green Left Activist Calendar, where we'll be telling you about upcoming pro- protests, progressive events, um, and for anyone who's kind of wanting to kind of get involved in political kind of activities. So I think, um, Chloe, are you ready to kind of present it? or? Uh, maybe just go to us, um, an announcement and I'll, I'll get it up. Okay, all good. Sorry for that, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and now it's time for the activist calendar. So I guess the first thing to note would be today. Today's Friday, the 12th of May. And there is going to be a public meeting on what's next for Preston Market. Should Preston Market be put in public hands? And we would say yes. That is at 6.30 p.m. at Preston Shire Hall, 286 Gower Street in Preston. And then tomorrow, Saturday, May the 13th, there's a campaign launch, Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stop. That's going to be at 10.30 a.m. at the Lamb Cafe, 264 Sydney Road, opposite Brunswick Town Hall. And on and again on Saturday, May 13th, tomorrow, there's a rally commemorating 70 years of Nakba at 1 p.m. at the State Library in Swanson Street. And then on Sunday, May, May 13th, there's a Sunday service um, at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, um, and there's a, there's going to be a talk um, titled "Militarism as a Driver of Climate Change." That's during the service between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. and it's located on 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne. And then on oh sorry, that was Sunday, May 14th, and again there's a, there's a rally on Sunday. Um, it's a uh, it's like a memorial uh, on the genocide of Elam Tamils from 2 p.m. to 3 p- 3.30 p.m. at the State Library. The event is by Tamil Refugee Council, and there are details on Facebook as well. Monday the 15th, we there's a webinar, Why Do the Bail Laws Need to Change from 12.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m., presented by Smart Justice for Women. And there's info and registration uh, on the activist calendar. On Friday, May 19th, there's Tea More, Less Solidarity, Keep the Change concert at 5.30 at Trades Hall in the Common Room, Ligon Street in Carlton. On Saturday, May the 20th, there's a fundraiser for Hazara Women. It's called Hazara Women for Change is the name of the charity. And that's going to be at 6.30 p.m. at Cafe Gummo, which is 711 High Street in Thornbury. Wednesday, May 24th, there's a film screening. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn, The Big Lie, 6.30 at the New International Bookshop at Trades Hall in Carlton. And then 
between Thursday, May the 25th, and Saturday, May the 27th, we've got Occupy for Climate Melbourne. And uh, on on Saturday, May the 27th, there is a concert. Um, I think the, the Painters and Dockers, they turn 40, so they're holding uh, an event called Get Docked 40, and that's going to be at 7 p.m. at Memo uh, Music Hall. Uh, should I keep going? There's a few more events to, to note. Actually, I actually accidentally left a, a couple of things off that calendar, so I'll just quickly announce them. There is, on Sunday the 21st of May, there is a screening um, at Black, at the Black Spark Cultural Centre called Stop the Boats, and it's, it's going to be a screening and a panel discussion afterwards, and that is from uh, 1 p.m. to 5.30 p.m., and there is also, uh, on just going back a day, May 20th, there's a protest by the forest groups against Dan Andrews' anti-protest laws at 11 a.m. Uh, the venue is to be confirmed, but you can go to the gecko.org.au website to find out more. Um, and, yeah, did you did you have anything that you wanted to, to, to mention? I mean, there's I can keep going, but I don't know how... There's there's three more events to I guess I could probably I think mention the, the eco socialism. Yeah. I, I guess like one event to obviously mention is uh, mm. the eco socialism mm. conference, which um, actually FreeCR is now officially um, sponsoring and supporting. Um, so that's going to be happening on um, on July first, July second at the Victorian Trades Hall. And um, yeah, you can look up the website. The agenda is starting to be put up now, so it's on eco socialism 2023. Um, if you go on the website, ecosocialism.org.au, you can get details on the agenda and also you can look up on Facebook as well. And, yeah. But it's been organised by Green Left and Socialist Alliance and it's bringing together socialists from the Asia Pacific and having a whole range of workshops on how we can fight and struggle for a better world. Lots of exciting speakers as part of that conference and that's been held at Trades Hall. Uh, just just two more events, um, Jacob, this need to, to mention. On Sunday, the 28th of May, there's a community celebration celebrating Balat Maroop Day. So we encourage people to get down there. It's at Glenroy, in Glenroy, um, from 12.30 to 3pm. And in Geelong, if there are any people listening in, in regional areas, there's a film screening by um, Red Cinema presenting the, the Road to War, which is a film by David Bradbury at 6.30pm at Trades Hall in Geelong. And David Bradbury is actually going to be there and will host a discussion after the film. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Chloe. Um, I might just go play a quick few announcements and we might play a quick song before we move on to our next interview. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiyah to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. We're your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. And so we're going to play um, In Surge, um, um, Images of London by In Surge, which is a cover of the of the Kev Carmody song. And it's basically, and it appeared on the 2009, 2000 album Globalization. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Right, you're just listening to um, Images of London by In Surge, which is a cover of uh, of Kev Com- 
commodity, uh, a Kev commodity son. Now, um, we are very happy, um, to have, um, David Ball, um, who's on the line right now, who is the Deputy Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia. He's also a presenter at, um, the Free CR program MUA Far Up, and he's joining us to discuss the 25th anniversary of the Patrick's dispute. Um, so good morning, um, David. Um, maybe just to start off, um, can you give us a bit of, um, actually, can you just say a few things quickly? Um, you were cro- kind of cracking up a bit there. Oh, okay. I'll just try and move a bit. Yep. How's that? That's much that's better. Good. So thanks for that, um, David. Now, to kind of start off, um, can you just give us a bit of an overview, um, especially for our listeners who might not know much, um, about the Patrick's dispute and I guess a bit of a background on, I guess, on the significance of the Patrick's dispute, which is a very kind of important, um, stru- which was a very important struggle in the Maritime Union in Australia's history? It continues to be a great struggle. I guess, um, you know, the, the ports in the country, are a gateway to the economy, so uh, the right wing and the government have always wanted to have control of them, and uh, fortunately the MUA have been ma- managed to uh, keep control of all the ports and the waterfront in Australia. Um, that led to, you know, people like the, um, the Farmers Association um, combining with the Howard government, with their right-wing ideology, trying to break down the union movement, the MUA, and change industrial relation laws in Australia. And I guess they figured the first starting place was uh, on the waterfront with the MUA. And they um, there was quite a few disputes on the waterfront around that time. Um, so they actually sent some... Um, I think they were ex-army people to Dubai and trained them up in cranes over there and... I don't think they did a very good job because they caused a fair bit of damage when they did get back to Australia. But uh, they brought them in overnight with dogs and um, chased our members out of the cranes and out of the straddles and out the gates. And that began um, 101 days of a picket line here in Melbourne and Sydney and Fremantle um, that led to the, the big 98 dispute. Uh, yeah, thanks, David. It's, it's Chloe also here on the line. Could you tell listeners what the legacy for workers' rights um, is in terms of what was won in that dispute, in the Patrick's dispute? Yeah, thanks, Chloe. Um, well, it, it, it allowed uh, the MUA uh, to stay on the waterfront and, and workers to continue to be represented by unions. Um, it also... Uh, made, made um, the MUA uh, stronger and with all the community support we got there, it taught the community and the union movement and the working class that through solidarity, any dispute can be won and that's how we won that dispute. It was with the assistance of all the other unions, all the community and it was really the broader community with you know, some extraordinary events took place down that picket line including you know, the Greek Orthodox Church had a mass down there, the Catholic Church had a mass down there, the painters and dockers played. I heard you talking about the painters and dockers before. So it was just a huge uh, moment of solidarity in the community where uh, the people stood up and they won. So it was uh, a great outcome. Okay. Um, and... Um, you kind of mentioned some of the kind of solidarity um, that um, that um, that the Patrick's dispute kind of brought kind of forth, and can you tell us a bit more about some of that solidarity you received from the broader community and the trade union movement um, during the, the the Patrick's dispute? Yeah, 
So the local solidarity was really important, and there was that uh, there's that famous footage of when the police officer arrived early in the morning and stood made a line in front of the picket line, and around uh, 7.50 that morning, about 2,000 CFMEU construction workers came down onto the site to uh, help all the picket line people, and the coppers were very uncomfortable and looking over their shoulders, and in the end they ended up retreating. So that was a, a fantastic moment. There was also a lot of internationalism, and there's a great story about the Columbus, Canada, that was loaded by the scabs here in Melbourne, went all the way to America, and then the ILWU refused to unload it, and that ship was forced to come back to Australia. The cargo was taken off and reloaded by union labour. So, you know, there was uh, massive international support and local support that all made it possible. Thanks for that. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Um, did you have any final comments before we wrap up the interview, Dave? Uh, I guess I'd just like to thank all the, uh, the community and the union movement and our international comrades and brothers and sisters that helped the MUA win that uh, dispute. Um, you know, without solidarity, it probably wouldn't have happened, and um, it was just a fantastic outcome. We now have, you know, down at Patrick's the other day, I was down at Patrick's the other day, and um, there was 12 new members joining the workforce, and every one of those members joined the union. We have close to 100% union membership down there, most people join that workplace as a permanent part-time worker, so casualisation's gone. Um, we really uh, enjoy having a really strong um, position on that waterfront and in that Patrick's work site. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, um, thank you very much, David, um, for um, for for the interview. And I think, yeah, it's a very it's a very kind of inspiring um, uh, a very inspiring dispute. And just to give also a bit of a plug to um, your program as well, um, just for our listeners, you should also check out um, the MUA Fire Up program on um, Freecr, where they also had another discussion um, about the Patrick's dispute um, in uh, for their latest program. Uh, thanks heaps, uh, Jacob and Chloe, and thank you to your program for supporting us and Green Left Weekly, who held a fantastic event down in Geelong last week celebrating the 25th anniversary. Uh, great solidarity. Thank you, comrades. Yeah, thank you, David. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Yeah, it really showed the experience of working class power and the potential of the united working class, and also Green Left were there. Um, at every point at those picket lines. We interviewed the MUA, the union leaders, and lots of rank-and-file workers. So that's why um, support for our work is really critical. And one of the craziest things about the dispute is, um, I think just for our listeners to give a bit of an image of it, what the capitalist bosses literally did to force workers to stop, um, to force the MUA workers to stop working at, um, at the site was they literally sent in people, fug, um, hired thugs with balaclavas, like wearing fully masked, who looked like, um, organized criminals, uh, to literally, um, w- remove these, um, remove them from, um, from the workplace. Like, you know, that's actually quite insane. Like, mm. you know, in a lot of ways, it's like terrifying. the imagery of that is quite terrifying. Mm. Like you have, and remember to think, um, look back onto that whenever the, the liberal governments, you know, go on or even the labor governments go on about, you know, you know, we have to be tough on crime and, yeah. you know, all, all this kind of stuff. They literally, um, they're prepared to do anything, use any means necessary to restrict, um, the rights of workers to strike, including sending in people 
um, with balaclavas. Like, I just think that the, the kind of imagery of that is actually quite quite amusing, actually, when you look at it. But it's also quite terrifying because it also just shows the kind of power of the capitalist state. All right. Well, I'll just play a quick um, announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the U.S. war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant, and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. The Setting Sun Film Festival, the film festival of the West, is 10 this year. Come and celebrate all Setting Sun Film Festival details and tickets are available online at settingsun.com.au. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a proud 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And so I thought we would conclude this program a by giving a bit of a news update, on, I guess, on some of the terrible news stories that um, that has happened in, in Palestine in the past um, few um, few days, and I think this is especially important to kind of highlight, especially since um, we have we have we obviously just promoted the fact that there's going to be the Al Nakba rally happening tomorrow at Sad, uh, uh, at 1 p.m. at the State Library, and I think it's going to be of even greater importance to. Um, get as many people there as possible in support of Palestine and um, Palestine self-determination. But essentially, the news update is that um, Israel has actually launched a series of kind of air attacks on on Gaza, um, and the impact, the consequences of this has been more than 27, 29 Palestinians, including several leaders of the Palestinian um, um, Islamic kind of movement, have, have been killed, and then more than 90 people have been injured as the Israeli military offence enters it's kind of third day or might be in its fourth day now. So I think this is very um, kind of, it's a very terrible, um, terrible development. Um, you know, it just shows the kind of impunity um, of how the Israel state and, and its occupation treats um, the Palestinians. And of course, there's also been quite, you know, there's been quite outrageous political responses from even our own political leaders. Um Penny Wong actually kind of tweeted recently in response to this and basically sort of saying, you know, this violence is terrible, but there should be restraint on both sides. Um, now, you know, they, I think it's, it, you know, the actual, the main aggressors are at the end of the day are the ones who are occupying, um, occupying the country and, and maintaining a kind of, uh, of the, the oppressive system that routinely denies, um, Palestinians their human rights. And I think, you know, in this case, Israel is the one that has to absolutely be condemned. Um, I think this idea that we can say that it's, you know, it's a conflict between both sides is completely wrong. And I think, you know, we have to show all the solidarity with, with, with Palestinians, um, who are fighting for their land, um, and their own kind of self-determination against the Israel occupation. 
Um, but yeah, I think it'll be, it, it, it's a, it, it, a great, it, it, it will be of great importance that people attend, um, the rally at 1 p.m. at the State Library, um, tomorrow, especially in light of these kind of attacks. Yeah, let's not turn a blind eye to these atrocities happening in Gaza, which is really an open air prison. That it's been an open air prison for the Palestinian people for over a decade, 16 years, and it is just incredible that there is still no while, a worldwide condemnation of the injustice of this. And if you if you are someone who cares about human rights, come along to the National Day of Action tomorrow to commemorate. Um, the anniversary of Al Nakba, 11 a.m. Oh, is it? No, sorry, not 11 a.m. It's 1 p.m. Yeah, 1 yeah, p.m. at the State PM. Library. State Library. Okay. Well, I might just go. Um, I'm not sure, what other news stories should we cover, actually, in the next program? Um, actually, one thing I'll just highlight, actually, as well, which we didn't get a chance to speak about it, but I'm just drawing on um, there's actually a big screenwriter's strike happening right now. Um, in, 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 in the United States. Um, but basically this strike actually began on May 1st in Hollywood and New York. And essentially it's being led by writers demanding a living wage and job security. And this is all in the context of an explosion in profits in, in the stream, in the, in the streaming sector. Like, you know, for example, the likes of organizations like Disney, uh, Netflix, you know, they're all making kind of massive kind of profits. Um, and I think, you know, uh, more than 10,000 screenwriters are up against companies such as Universal, Paramount and Disney, as well as tech giants such as Netflix, Amazon and Apple. Now, one of the underlying kind of issues that's obviously that's driving this strike is studio profits for all these sort of organisations have gone up more than 39%, yet the average writer's salary has gone down by 4%. Um, and demand the demands of the writers... Um, you know, include increased pay where the work, um, where, where the actual work that writers actually do is properly kind of compensated. And of course, there's also a whole, um, host of other issues that are kind of happening in the background of this whole dispute. Um, there's, of, there's an increased precarity of, of writers, um, of writers work. Like it's almost in a sense a gig economy for, for writers. There's not necessarily a such thing as, getting consistent um, writing work. You kind of have to basically compete. And, of course, you know, all the conditions are not necessarily that great either and you might not necessarily get full kind of compensation for the labour that you actually perform. And, of course, the other sort of thing, and this is actually going to be something we should potentially, we'll potentially cover in a future program, but there's also, um, there's also this, there also, there's also a bit of a pushback against AI development, which basically... These studio companies are basically exploring the use of AI for for, for screenwriting, and the the um the the basic the basic thing is to kind of reduce the cost of labour. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. those are some of the other kind of sticking points and the other issues. But you can read more about this on Green Left. Um, read the full story at Green Left, um, and the article is titled "United States Screenwriters Strike for a Living Wage and Job Security," and it's written by our um, the United States uh, your, um, the Green Left's United States correspondent Malik Mia. It's pretty amazing. The first strike in 15 years. Um, and yeah, like they're up against massive companies like Netflix. Even the whoever's a, a fan of Stranger Things, the, the final season of that has been pa- paused due to the writers' strike. So solidarity to those those writers. Keep up to date with with what's going on in Green Left. All right, so we're getting to the end of our program. Um, so I guess yeah, 
some final words going to say. Um, thanks to all our listeners for tuning in this week. I'd like to thank all our listeners um, for also and all our guests for being on our program. And I also yeah like to also just make a bit of a plug that you know to keep you know um, radical kind of radio like Green Left um, Radio on the air um, and also supporting um, a people powered project like Green Left. You know where it does rely on your fin- on, uh, on your financial support. Um, so if you ever considered becoming a Green Left supporter, you can consider becoming one for five dollars a month or ten dollars a month, and also consider becoming a FreeCR subscriber. Um, you can do that by going on the FreeCR website at freecr.org.au. And yeah, this um this um this program will be uploaded as a podcast on on Saturday. And um yeah, like stay tuned for. Um, left after breakfast, but maybe Chloe might have last any last. Yeah, I just want to say it's not just about becoming a paid um, supporter that counts. I mean, that is very valuable. But you know, we we also have other things other than the radio show. We've got a podcast um, that was launched in February by Green Left journalists Ben Radford and Isaac Nellis that go through the latest news from Australia and around the world. So I encourage people to to download that on Podbean and all your favorite podcasting platforms. And we also have a green green left show that can be found on YouTube. So if you have like video or podcasting skills or you want to learn, um, you know, you are welcome to reach out and help us expand this area. Um, so yeah, get in touch. Um, you can also help by simply liking and sharing our videos and podcasts. Okay. Thanks again, listeners. And stay tuned for Left After Breakfast. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise you workers from the slumbers, arise you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions Serve all masses Arise We'll change henceforth the old tradition And spurn the dust to win the prize That's right, the commies are back Reds underneath your beds and that crap